Y'all, I yeah. wish I had a voice. Y'all gonna have to help me tonight. So says, nobody but you, Lord. Nobody but you. Nobody but you, Lord. Nobody but you. When I was in, you brought me over. Nobody but you, Lord. Nobody but Nobody but you, Lord. Nobody but you. Nobody but you, Lord. Nobody but you. Nobody but you. Nobody but you. When I was in trouble, you brought me home. Nobody but you, Lord. Nobody but you. Nobody but you. Nobody but you. Nobody but you. When I was in trouble, you brought me home. Nobody but you, Nobody but you. Put your hands on it, everybody.
faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman! That's a fictitious, bogus story made about a man with an S on his chest. But I found the real S. He doesn't need it on his chest because he is the S. He is the Savior. Jesus to Christ. Kryptonite can't kill him. Death can't kill him. The grave can't hold him. He has all power in his hand to do the impossible. He's able to save the day. Jesus saved the day.
God praise for Bree Hartley. He brought me out. Somebody say he brought me out. He brought me out. He brought me out. The words of the, that lead. See, I was lost, lost, and confused. And so much sin that I couldn't be used. Until he snatched me out to take me in. This is why I'm happy. Because I'm free from sin. Yes, I know that Jesus saved the day. Hallelujah. Some of us have been in sin a long time. Coming to church and still in sin. But I'm just so glad he did not wipe us out. Hallelujah. He didn't expose us, but he gave us a chance to get it right. Hallelujah. Somebody say he saved the day. But if you would not mind turning back to the gospel of Matthew once again, chapter 26. If you would not mind, as we do back at the Bethel Church, to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. I'm thankful for one other thing, that for the first time, ain't no NBA playoffs tonight. I ain't got to, I ain't got to rush through. <laughs> I just want to read once again verse 39. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Amen. You may be seated in the very presence of our God. I want to preach tonight as the spiritual guide with this thought in our minds this will not get the best of me this will not get the best of me recently I was reading one of the more provocative and interesting and challenging statements in an article that I had ever read on praise it was taken from leadership magazine written by a gentleman by the name of Shane hips. The article was entitled, Praise That Is Premature. In the article, Hips states concerning praise that when we only sing happy, feel-good songs, church becomes a kind of pep rally to inspire excitement about what God does. He said that most churches on Sunday don't really have praise and worship experiences, but pep rallies where we cheer ourselves into believing in an unrealistic world we have constructed. The danger, Hips went on to say, is that this modern day praise makes us ill-equipped to manage challenging moments because our lives consist of more than just ups. There are down moments in life that a pep rally can't cure. What Hips was getting at in the article was this new feel-good theology that has infiltrated the church, where now we fool people into believing that struggles somehow should not be a part of the fabric of the Christian journey. Here's what Hips said finally, and I quote, authenticity and integrity in worship and in theology means expressing both lament and praise. 
because each completes the other unfortunately we have allowed our theology to become so materialistic and individualistic to now we relegate our preaching to watered-down nursery rhyme theology that makes cotton candy promises with the illusion of erasing problems if we can just speak enough tongues or sow enough seeds the maturity of the Christian life however is knowing how to manage the challenges as well as appreciate the blessings it's not an easy road especially for those of us who are in ministry for preachers let's just be honest for anybody in ministry managing moments of misery that come in ministry can be very challenging because sometimes it means submitting to preach when you don't want to preach caring when you don't want to care staying sometimes where you don't want to stay speaking to who you don't want to speak to burying who you wish was still alive and tolerating who you wish you could bury it's a challenge Frankie Beverly said it's joy and pain Paul Lawrence Dunbar said it's pints of joy and pecks of trouble Jesus said in this life you will have tribulation and I'm opening up tonight with this Bishop Thomas because clergy suicides and clergy depression have been on the rise over the last several years too many of our clergy brothers and sisters have fallen because they were not able to manage the rough seasons that are interwoven within the fabric of our calling y'all let's just set this on the table at the beginning stress is real I don't care how saved you are I don't care how long you've been preaching I don't care how many degrees you might have I don't care what title they may call you by I don't care who laid hands on you stress is real but here's what I've come to posit tonight Jamal you can learn to avoid stress but you will never be able to avoid pressure stress avoidance does not mean pressure avoidance that stress will keep in from creep in from time to time but you have to learn how to avoid the stress and manage the pressure so that you don't abandon your purpose here we find Jesus facing that reality as he comes to the Garden of Gethsemane he is a day from going through with obedience to the most challenging reality he's ever had to face while being on earth what he left glory to do what he submitted to do he is now on the precipice of doing and he doesn't want to finish it and what we see from Jesus tonight is that when it comes to fulfilling and submitting to the way and the will of the Father for your life for your assignment and for your ministry there will be moments where the struggle to do it is real and the pressure is great and you've got to learn how to manage the pressure without succumbing to the stress y'all not get me so let me see if I can help you the other day I, I was driving in my car and had something happen to me I was driving Bill and as I left what is called the town center in Jacksonville 
I was in my car for a minute and all of a sudden the seatbelt warning light and the bell started going off. And most of y'all know that can be the most annoying sound you can ever have. But what was strange about it was my seatbelt was snapped. So I checked to see if it was loose and it wasn't. I was losing my mind trying to figure out what in the world was going on and why was the seatbelt warning going off. I had a package in the driver's seat, but thought to myself, that can't be it because ain't nobody in that seat. And after it continued and it started getting on my nerves, when I got to a red light, I lifted up the package in the seat and the sound stopped. I thought it must have been some kind of fluke that it went off, so I put the package back down and began to drive again. It wasn't too long before the warning sound started sounding again. I lifted the package up one more time and the sound stopped. Then it hit me. What sends the sound off is not the presence of a body being in the seat, but it goes off after a certain amount of weight is put on it. That the seat doesn't respond to a body, but the seat sends a warning signal in response to a certain amount of pressure being put on the seat. And the seat belt warning sign is the signal that something is going on that makes it unsafe to keep driving with that much pressure, weight, and stress on the seat. That, that means too much pressure on the seat that's not under control will set off the alarm that blessed me because it made me think about life there will be days when you are forced to deal with some things you would rather not have to face but too much pressure left unbuckled uncontrolled and unbound will make it unsafe for you to keep driving may I keep unpacking this thing the seatbelt is designed to buckle in a person for safety when moving but it went off because the pressure made it feel like it was something it wasn't. It wasn't a body that was in the seat. It was just some stuff. <laughs> and because the seat didn't know the difference between a body and stuff, it went off because it thought that I was driving unsafely. And I came tonight because a whole lot of you came to Hampton with stuff in your seat. And the bell is going off. And you think that you can't make it. But I came to tell you tonight, it ain't nothing but stuff. And God will take the stuff, lift it off the seat, and allow you to keep going where he wants you to go but wait a minute wait a minute here I was driving and I didn't stop Claude because I was the driver and couldn't see what the seat couldn't see the seat didn't know that it was just stuff but because I knew it was just stuff 
I kept driving because it knew it wasn't any danger. See, a whole lot of us get in trouble because we are not the seat. We're the bell that's going off. And you're crying out to God because the weight is getting to you. But you don't know he's the driver. And he knows that whatever you're dealing with ain't enough to take you out. Gonna tell somebody it ain't nothing but stuff. It's just, it's just stuff. I know it's a lot of stuff, but it ain't nothing but stuff. And stuff may give you pressure, but it doesn't have to turn into stress. How did Jesus manage the pressure? I just want to give you three quick things. Here's the first thing, don't give a public face to a private fight. Look, 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 look at the text. Jesus gets in this garden and he's in a struggle. But I want you to notice a few things. Dr. Miles Jerome Jones used to always say if you're going to an old well try to take a fresh dip and come up with new water. I want to see if I can do something. Um, notice when Jesus gets in the garden, his words are words of doubt, fear, anxiety, stress, nerves. But what messed me up was this scene happens right after they finish communion. And uh, while they were in the upper room, <laughs> if you were to juxtapose the words that Jesus speaks in the room and in the garden, you, you would notice a distinct difference. Because his, his words up in the upper room, this is my body broken for you. My blood shed for you. I will not drink it again until I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. In that upper room, he's got words that are confident, certain, assured, victorious, sagacious, audacious. He's not wavering. But by the time he gets to the garden, that attitude is gone. Now, while scholars disagree on the exact location of the upper room, Jesus, most agree that because of the configuration of the area, the garden was only about a mile from the upper room. I find it hard to believe that within the span of a mile, Jesus lost his nerve. I find it hard to believe that within the span of an hour, he got scared. I find it hard to believe that within the span of a mile, he was ready to give up. So my question was, was Jesus being phony at the table? And I contend that what he spoke in the garden, he was feeling at the table. But at the table, he had to be in the posture of his assignment. 
because at the table were people who depended upon his leadership at the table were persons who needed to hear his word at the table were people who needed to see his courage at the table were staff members around the table were spiritual offspring around the table were mentees around the table were disciples around the table were ministry volunteers and he had to keep it together at the table because around that table were people who were depending on his word but a mile later his words have changed and I contend, Dr. Riddick, that what he unleashed in the garden, he was feeling at the table, but you can't bring your garden emotions to your assignment table. God help me tonight. You, you, you got to know how to keep it together at the table, even though you might be turning cartwheels inside your stomach. Please don't think that just because I'm talking good at the table that I don't have any struggles. I know I sound good at the table. I know I'm smiling at the table. I know I'm singing at the table, but that does not suggest that life is peaches and cream. I'm just saving unloading it until I can get to the garden so the devil got one mile to get me because if I make it to the garden God I wish I had a praying church in here today and I am a living witness that God will give you grace for the table talk do I have any witnesses in here is there anybody in here who knows what it's like to preach at the table with the garden on your mind is there anybody in here that knows what it's like to sing at the table with the garden on your mind is there anybody in here who knows what it's like to serve at the table with the garden on your mind but if I can just hold on and make it to the garden because at the table I'm with you but I come to the garden alone while the dude somebody tonight because a lot of you left your table to come to this garden and tonight you came to unleash your hurts and unleash your pains and you ought to take about 10 seconds and just act like you in the garden and everything you've been struggling with everything you've been dealing with everything you've been wrestling with unleash it in the garden How dare you just look at somebody and tell them if I can just make it to the garden. That, that was the wrong person. Turn on the other side and tell somebody, please don't be fooled. I came with all my good suits, all my good dresses. I got all my Mary Kay makeup on. I got my hair cut. I came with my shouts. But I got to leave the table because I'm dealing with some stuff that I can't show at the table. sit down and this is a word we need because too many of us 
preach our garden emotions at our leadership table. They know everything that's going wrong in our house and with our finances. We can't help them get encouraged because we're too narcissistic to hold it till we get somewhere to unleash it. See, this is why devotional time is more important than even your study time. If the only time you read in the Bible is to find a sermon, you ain't going to handle it. If the only time you're praying is when you get up to preach the word, you ain't going to handle it. You've got to have a time where you can go to the garden and deal with everything that's been messing with you. Do I have any witnesses tonight? How many of y'all know that the devil should have got you in that one mile because you stood up there didn't feel like it. You preached and didn't want to be there. You sang and didn't want to be there. You had trouble on your mind. You had your family on your mind. You had your children on your mind. But you stood there at that table and you preach the gospel knowing if I could just get to the benediction and get to my garden I've got a savior that I can tell everything what you unleash in the garden you can't unleash at the table you got to hold it Till you get to the garden. There's something else this short distance suggests to us, and that is don't get stuck on elevated moments. There's a short distance, Jesus, between elevated moments and dark. Time can be very short between a moment of confidence and a moment of fear. The ups and downs of ministry, y'all, come quickly. You can't get stuck in hell. As a matter of fact, if the truth were told, you don't find your strength and cut your teeth in the elevated moments. All you need for those is to know how to perform. You cut your teeth and learn your grit in what Dr. Gardner Calvin Taylor called the crucible of pain. Jesus found his center at the low place. Um, if I could give you some theology from geography. Geography tells us that the garden was in a low level place. <laughs> um, so Jesus leaves the upper room a high place comes down to the garden a low place it's a valley some say a valley is a depressed place situated between two elevated places <laughs> y'all not happy come over here a valley is a depressed place situated between two elevated places. 
which means I can't get to the next elevated place without going through the valley. See, I know why we're not shouting because we're trying to teach people how to have valley-free experiences and how to just hop from one mountain to the other, but you can't get to the next mountain without going down through the... And may I suggest to you, you aren't ready for the higher places until you have learned how to masterfully manage the low places. What Vernon Grounds calls the Gethsemane mindset. He talks about it in his book, Radical Commitment, that the Gethsemane mindset is the renunciation of your own feelings, your own desires, your own hopes, your own dreams, your own ambitions, so that God's purposes may be accomplished in you. It's to set your mind on the will of God, even when that will contradicts what you want in the low place. Where it's not about you, but it's about God. In the low place, where you cry without tears and sweat like drops of blood. In the low place, where people you depended on to watch and pray with you now sleep on you. In the low place, where you feel like turning in your resignation because you just don't want to do it anymore. In the low place, where you're ready to walk out on your family, but now success has become more important than anything else. In the low place. Until you've learned how to pray in the low place. Until you've learned how to preach in the low places. Until you get yourself together in the low place. You aren't ready for the next high place because it's the low place that gets you ready. I didn't learn how to preach because I went to Virginia Union. I didn't learn how to preach because I sat at the feet of Miles Jones and Henry Mitchell and Sam Proctor and Charles Booth and Rudolph McKissick Sr. I learned how to exegete. I learned how to have hermeneutics and homiletics. I learned how to go to a text and put it in context. But it wasn't until I got in the low place where I didn't have nobody, where I had to deal with pain, where I had to face my pressure. That's where I learned how to preach because real preaching doesn't happen in the classroom. It happens when you have experience. Do I have a witness tonight? Anybody know you didn't learn how to do it till you went through some stuff? You really didn't mean it till you went through some stuff. You said no weapon formed against me, but it wasn't till you caught hell that it meant something. You said God would supply all your needs, but it wasn't till you got broke that it meant something. You got to manage the load. places conquer the low places that's why he could get on that cross and say father forgive them because he conquered the low places that's why he could pause and give theology to a thief because he conquered the low places and I came tonight to speak to somebody who's dressed like you're in the high place but living like you're in the low place the good news tonight is if you can just learn to manage the low places where folk come to church but won't say amen to you where people are trying to put you out where friends turn their backs on you when doctors give you unexpected news but you stand up and declare the glory of God in the low places God will give you power and here's the evidence 
that he conquered it. Not my will. Notice, he doesn't say, I don't have a will. He never says, my will is gone. He just says, not my will, but your will be done. Here it is. I'll live with it if you've decided not to change it. Are you prepared to live with what God ain't gonna change? And we say he's omnipotent, so he's got the power to change it. But are you mature enough to live with what he changed in other folk that he makes you live with? Their wife went through chemo and got healed. Your wife still sick. Their marriage reconciled. Yours is still a mess. He or she made it through the church fight. You got terminated. Your friend got a new church. You got to stay in the same church. Your friends can buy tailor-made suits. You got to go to Macy's. You've been praying for God to change what you know he can change. But are you mature enough to say, God, if you don't change it, if I got to stay in this church, if I got to deal with these hellions, if I got to stay in that ministry, if I got to stay in this situation, nevertheless, not my will. Because here's what I figured out, y'all. Sometimes God refusing to change what he can ain't a curse, it's a compliment. Y'all don't like this. He had to change it for them because <laughs> they ain't mature enough to bless him without being out of it. But maybe God knows there's more Job in you than you really know. That if he keeps you in it, you know how to bless him even though he don't change it. And I'm looking for the Jobs tonight who can say if God don't change it, it's a compliment that he knows in the midst of my trial, in the midst of my suffering, I'm still going to bless him. Is there anybody tonight who can say I thought it was a curse, but maybe God is complimenting me. Maybe the devil brought my name maybe God said have you considered my preacher so and so and Job said I tried him but when I got there, you had them blocked off. So God said, okay, 
I'm going to lift the block. And you can touch them, just don't kill them. Now, here's how I know God was complimenting Job because of what God said to the devil. Do whatever you want to do. Because the devil said, here's the bet. He'll curse you to your face. Y'all men. Which means it's not about what Job's going to do. It's about what he's going to say. Job got down. He shaved his head, rent his clothes. Took a breath and looked like he was about to say something. Satan got on the loudspeaker of heaven and called all the imps to the boardroom. They lifted up the curtain on the plasma television. And they began to look and say, Job's getting ready to say something. And with all the hell I done put on him, I know he going to say something. With all the struggle I done put on him, I know he going to say something. With all the strife I done put on him, I know he's going to say something. And when he opened up his mouth, he said, naked I came from my mama's womb. And naked I shall return. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. See, this ain't about what you gonna do. It ain't about how you gonna run, but somebody open up your mouth and show the devil what comes out of my mouth is a blessing in spite of my burden. There. The devil gets mad with some of y'all because after that rough week when you got to that pulpit you opened up your mouth and start blessing God the devil is mad with some of you musicians because after that rough week when you opened up your mouth you sang the praises of God and somebody in this convocation center ought to take about 10 seconds and open up your mouth and show the devil he can do whatever he wants to do to you you go bless God you go praise God you go live I'm done there are some conflicts God may force you to work through without the benefit of being delivered from he's helping you work through it because he's tired of you always preaching about his delivering power and he wants to give you something to preach about his keeping power see everybody in here ain't been delivered but everybody in here can say he's been keeping me he's been keeping me in some stuff he's been keeping me in some situation some people have no clue that there were moments you were preaching under his keeping power and i wonder do i have any witnesses tonight who can say he's been keeping me i got my own testimony i've had eight surgeries in five years i had 
cancer. I had a 12-hour back surgery, lost my voice, and the doctor said I'd never preach again. But every time I stand with a dead vocal cord, I'm reminded he's got keeping power because he's keeping my voice when the devil tried to take it. Go and shake your neighbor's hand and tell him, neighbor, he's keeping me in what could have killed me. He's keeping me in what should have took me out. He's keeping me in a church that don't want me. He's keeping me in a ministry that don't want me. He's keeping my mind. He's keeping my joy. And I'm looking for a few people tonight who can say, I know about the keeping power of God. I know that the Lord will keep you. I know that the Lord will sustain you. And when the storms of life start to rage in your life, just tell the Lord, keep me in the midst of my storm. You got to say, keep my heart, keep my hand, keep my soul. Lord, I pray, keep my tongue to speak my praise. Ah, keep me, ah, keep me. Keep me. I need somebody who can say he's keeping me. That's why I haven't lost my mind. He's keeping me. That's why I'm still preaching. He's keeping me. That's why I still got joy. Good night, Hampton. May the Lord God bless you real good. But is there anybody in here who can help me close this sermon? Stand on your feet. If you know about the keeping power of God, now if he ain't never kept you, don't say nothing. If he ain't never sustained you, then sit right there. But if the Lord has ever kept you in the midst of your life, then you ought to wave your hand and tell God thank you. Some of y'all should be crazy, but God is keeping you. Some of y'all should have left your church, but God is keeping you. You should have walked out on your family, but God is keeping you. Some of y'all got cancer, but God is keeping you. Some of y'all got diseases, but God is keeping you. Would you do me a favor? Take one neighbor by the hand and tell your neighbor, neighbor, oh, neighbor, he's keeping me. That was the wrong neighbor. Turn on the other side. Take your neighbor by the hand. Shake them and rock them. Rock them and shake them. Shake them and rock them. And tell them, neighbor, oh, neighbor, he's keeping me. He's holding me. He's sustaining me. Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Won't he fight your battles? Won't he make your enemies your footstool? Won't he give you joy and sorrow? Won't he give you hope for tomorrow? Won't he try your tears? Won't he, won't he, won't he, won't he, won't he? Won't he? Because I know 
he keeps me because I know he sustains me. I will not quit. I will not give up. anybody in this room who can say I got pressure but it won't get the best of me I got struggles but it won't get the best of me I got difficulty but it won't get the rest of me Somebody on a Tuesday night to wave like he's keeping you, to holler like he's keeping you, to scream like he's keeping you, praise him like he's keeping you, jump up and down like he's keeping you, and because he's keeping me, I can say this joy that I have the world didn't give it to me and the world can't take it from me high five five people tell them he's keeping me that's why I act like that he's keeping me that's why I jump like I jump I know you're at Hampton and you're trying to be dignified but for the next 20 seconds be Bougiedo that's bougie and ghetto and let the redeemed of the Lord if he's keeping you say so say so yeah Yes, he will. Keeping me, keeping me. How many believe that things are going to get better? It doesn't matter what's been going on. Do you believe that things are going to get better? Come on.
How many of you know that things are going to get better? Y'all too quiet. I want you to prophesy to somebody and tell them things are going to get better. It's not too late for things to get better. Better's going to meet you at your front door. Better has your address. Better knows the doctor's office that you visit. I dare you to slap somebody and tell them that things.
people you know went crazy from what you are currently surviving. But I need somebody in here that has a phrase that says I might be in pain, but I'm being produced.
Watch this, because he left you in the storm. 